1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Cross and Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian Reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is King. There is no neutrality, no exile, no surrender. And gentlemen, I don't know if you knew there was no such thing as a rapture either. Oh, oh, H-E double hockey sticks, no. <laughs> what? That's just the no thing we'll pick for the week. My name is I Jason. I watched the Kirk Cameron movie once that says otherwise, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Although my understanding is his views have shifted a bit. That seems progressive. Which is wonderful. Oh, that's, that's what you call foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Anyway, my name is Jason. I'm one of your hosts. I have John and Jordan with me. How howdy, are you guys? Howdy. What up? You guys doing okay today? Doing awesome. How are you? I'm I'm all right. Are you ready for Africa? I'm, yeah, I'm getting close. I have a lot of stuff to prep yet. It's just been a... It's been a journey, but I'm excited, so that's half the battle. Yeah, awesome. Um, what are you guys drinking over there, by I was the going to say, you're preparing for Africa. We are getting you prepared for Africa with some African coffee. African? Where is this from, by the way? Well, it tastes, we, it's wonderful tasting. It's actually, this is our new, brand new sponsor, Telos Coffee Roasters, for your enjoyment. Yeah. Now, this coffee, we're all drinking it. It's delicious. It is flavorful. It is rich. Wouldn't it, you say? I, I'm an actual coffee person. Well, I'm a person person, but yeah. I like coffee. <laughs> and um, this is really good. It's very tasty. Yeah, it's very, very tasty. For, and for John Reasoner to say that, he's like a bit of a coffee connoisseur. You might say. So. I'm, a, I'm a former coffee master, but I had to step down from, from that. 
Coffee master, that's a thing. Yeah, I used to work for this really evil, massive, you know, coffee organization that shall not be named. We'll go on <coughs> Starbucks. <laughs> they are not our sponsor today. It rhymes with far ducks. So you were a coffee. I guess there's like brewmasters too for like um, beer, right? Right, right. There's so. a rigorous program, and we actually do learn a lot about coffee. And honestly, this is really good. Absolutely. I don't think I brewed it as well as I could have. But the beans themselves—that <laughs> was my fault. Yeah. yeah, and and Telos Coffee Roasters—they're a great company. Visit their website www.teloscoffeeroasters.com. They are run by uh, friends of ours. Yep. And uh, I mean, they do a terrific job. They are not cutting corners. They are going for the very best coffee you can buy. You can go to their website. You can order a subscription so you keep yourself up with the the latest and and best uh, of your favorite flavors. And they go all out. I mean, on the on the package here, they're telling you about who the producers are, what the flavor profile is. In this case, it's deep chocolate, golden raisin, hints of red licorice, cocoa, wine. Um, they're talking about the region it's from. This is Ethiopian and Guatemalan. So anyways, big up to Coffee Telos Roasters. Yeah, Jonathan's a friend Telos of ours. Coffee, excuse me, Telos Coffee Roasters. Telos Coffee Roasters, yeah. They're, you're going to hear the commercial in a while, so brace yourselves for that. But we're very much thankful to partner with them. And it, yeah, it is really good. We're definitely enjoying it. As it's great to have speak. sponsors. Yes, and we do have room for another one. So if you are interested in advertising your business, let us know. We'll work with you. Just shoot us a message on Facebook. You can see our Facebook page, Cross and Crown Radio, and let us know. We'll um, we'll just chat with you and, and talk it over. We'll um, get you on the show. And it really so. helps us to bring you the content that you're getting every week. So Yes, indeed. So if that's you out there, let us know. We'd be happy to uh, to talk a little bit. So speaking of just some uh, housekeeping things, we, a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, invited you to review us on iTunes. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, or send us a message on Facebook. And we've received some great feedback on Facebook, which I'm thankful for. But we did have a review come in from BJ Wilson 17 uh, He knows who he is when I say that name. But here's what he had to say. Great podcast. Appreciate your commitment to rooting your ideas slash principles and views in what God's word says. This is more than just three guys giving their opinions. Also enjoy the wide variety of topics you are covering. Give your producer a pat on the back for opening, closing song selections. I will give myself a pat <laughs> on the back. <laughs> Usually when I'm uh, working on this, um, I try to think of a song or two that'll fit with the theme. You know, last week talking about red flag laws, a little rage against the machine showed up. And then, of course, talking about Bitcoin, we put in some more money, more problems, a little P. Diddy back in the day. <laughs> it's just fun. I actually <laughs> got to keep fun. you guessing. Yeah, it keeps you guessing. I have fun with it. It's, it's kind of entertaining to me. But thank you for your feedback on that. Appreciate that encouragement. Don't, so, don't sue us, P. Diddy. <laughs> yeah. Fair use? I, yeah, uh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> uh, we'll see. In a theonomy, I'm not sure what that looks like. That'll be another IP episode. is theft. Yeah, intellectual property. That's a, write that one down. We need to cover that one of these episodes. Oh, we will. That is a that's a big, big, <laughs> big topic. Patent laws, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Speaking of no rapture, we have a whole host of eschatological, I don't know, meanderings out there. <laughs> um, one of them is by we ran across from Al Mohler. Now, Al Mohler, I appreciate in a lot of ways. I especially appreciate his stance on the social justice thing. Um, for the most part, he's 
staying his ground, standing on his ground, standing firmly um, against those who just want to flippantly write it off. Right. So anybody who holds the social justice paradigm, you know, especially those like us who would define it in biblical law, I don't think it's a term we have to run away from or be scared of. So I do appreciate him when it comes to that. But of course, then, you know, there's some differences that we hold with him, one of them being eschatology. So we have a clip we're going to play, and then we'll just talk about it. And um, some context, I don't know, Jordan, if you if you want to add anything, but just some context. Moeller is talking on the briefing. Was that today's episode? Yesterday? It was actually a couple days it, ago. Yeah, it was so, maybe the 13th. Okay, so by the time you hear ago. this, it'll have been the week before. Um but on his, on his show, he's talking about basically the decline of Western civilization. He's talking about the increase in immorality, those types of things. And then he has some other statements to make that I you know, find to be troubling. Do you want to add anything on that? Just that this is not the first time that Al Mohler has said something along these lines. Um, he's, he, he's talked about this several times on his briefing. And it's just sort of something we can't ignore. Yeah. We just we want to address this and... and give a little bit of a put, give some pushback especially so without further ado here we go to this kind of progressivism now how are christians to think about this well first of all we do believe in a linear view of history we share that with the progressivists we believe that history is not a wheel it's not a cycle it's moving in a direction we also believe that history doesn't go forward and backward in time but we do not believe as christians that the world is always getting better and better that's actually a deformation of Christian doctrine. The reality is that the biblical worldview is so honest about the power of sin that we come to understand that societies do move forward in some terms, economically, politically, certainly technologically, but they don't move forward uniformly, certainly when it comes to morality. Just take the United States over, say, the last half century. Has there been moral progress? Of course there has been. Just think of the civil rights movement and think of other moral changes when it comes to the United States. For one thing, think about the fact that if you go back to the 1960s, driving under the influence of alcohol was treated as a relatively minor issue, but it is deadly. There was a change in the moral perception of Americans over the last half century. And that moral change has been so comprehensive that it's hard to imagine we ever believed otherwise. But if you're looking at the very same period of time, Christians would also have to see moral regress, as C.S. Lewis would call it. We would look at the fact that even as there has been moral progress in some areas, there's been moral disaster in others. Just think about the legalization of abortion and the murder of millions of unborn Americans in the womb. Just consider the vast spread of divorce and the effects throughout the society of the moral changes that have been inflicted upon the family. Think about the divorce revolution. And then think about the vast changes in sexuality. Christians, thinking biblically, cannot celebrate the fact that our society has gone into headlong confusion and rebellion when it comes to human sexuality. This means that biblical Christians can't be Hegelians. We can't be progressivists in this sense. We can't look at history and say that it is merely unfolding towards progress. We see progress. We also see regress. We understand the Bible's honesty about sin. 
and the pervasiveness of sin. We come to understand that there is no era of earthly rescue. We are never going to see human ingenuity or human progressivism bring in the kingdom of Christ on earth. The kingdom of God is coming in its consummation only by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many mainline, more liberal Protestants in Europe and in the United States, but particularly in Europe, were tempted by a postmillennialism that is a theological form of progressivism. But eschatology comes with consequences, and the consequences of reality meant that World War I and all of its carnage brought catastrophe to that kind of mainline Protestant postmillennialism by the early 20th century. But go back to that language again, evolving standards of decency, coming from the late Chief Justice Earl Warren. That was dated again in 1958. Since then, enormous mischief has been made with that language, evolving standards of decency. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, all right. So, you know, feel free to just jump in. But initially, my reaction is, why are, why are we already the straw man's out when he talks about connects post mill with liberal as if the Princetonian men like Hodge, you know, defenders, Warfield, defenders of post millennial are somehow liberals, um, whatever that means. Right. You, you don't get any more conservative than Hodge and the Hodges and Warfield and the Princeton post millennialist theologians. Um, it doesn't it the fact that he is conflating progressivism and a form of liberalism with postmillennialism and not making any distinction whatsoever i mean postmillennialism has a incredibly rich theological history down through the ages through the as we just said with the warfields and the hodges through the puritanism through you know back all the way to gustin it has a very rich theological Mm -hmm. tradition and for him to just equate it without distinction with a liberal progressivism is like reckless well and why and i i guess the question i would have for him if he were sitting here is like why why are we why are you looking at history only through the lens of the 20th century because he didn't cite anything else. Right, he didn't, exactly. He didn't cite the massive sweeping changes that were a result of the Reformation in Europe. He didn't cite, even today, with Dave, uh, what's, uh, Philip Jenkins, I almost lost, lost his name. Philip Jenkins has traced the growth of Christianity in the global south today. I mean, it's happening now. Christianity is on the rise. It's the fastest growing religion. So why are we looking at world war one and suddenly saying, well, you know, these guys had a view that was pretty optimistic and then world war one, you know, happened and then world war two and Hitler. And, and then this kind of this, like, I don't know, you're, you're poisoning the well by just starting with that presupposition. Right. I think to, to simplify it the most that I can right now, I think Albert Muller's view of history is too little. His view of history has to do with essentially the 19th, 20th century ish. Mm-hmm. And his view of history is very narrow and it, it doesn't take into account so much more. I mean, he mentions like abortion becoming legalized. Even that isn't really the full view of it. It became federally legalized in the 70s while it was going on in almost every other state without any issue. Not to mention the widespread infanticide and abortion going out, going throughout all of history. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, we can talk about World War One. Yeah, it was bad. Obviously, abortion, bad. Homosexuality, bad. But let's look at the big picture. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. If you go back to the, the 11th century, the 12th century, the 13th century, the 14th century, you know, prior to Tyndale, I guess you could say, you know, it was a pretty dark place for Christendom in, in a lot of ways, and especially compared to now. Think about it. First of all, you know, you had things like the bubonic plague literally wipe out half of Europe and a third of the world's entire population. You know, the average life expectancy was 30, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you were had a very high chance of dying as an infant. And if you, you know, and, and if you did die, you die of things like diarrhea, you know, just things. Right, know. right. It, it's very yeah. clear. Uh, I don't want to say just it's very clear. No, go look it up yourself. Right. Do your own research. <laughs> right. And then in terms of, um, of the church, it was like the most light that you had, you know, was the Catholic church, which was thoroughly corrupt prior to the Reformation. Oh, absolutely. And then you had the no Bible that you could read a, a available to you if you could read because most couldn't or many couldn't right they would have to learn Latin and, and read the Vulgate if they and, could read yeah. then they'd have to also know Latin right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. I'd say you know things didn't look so good for the propagation of the gospel throughout history at that point but what do we see if we zoom out in the in the big picture when we look at at blocks of 5,000 year periods you know, you can't look at, at a couple hundred years and, and get your newspaper eschatology out. And actually what, what Mueller was saying, oh, after World War One or before World War One, people were post-millennialists. But then, you know, uh, the World War One happened. It was terrible and they all changed. That's an argument to not do newspaper eschatology. Right. No, exactly. And, and you're absolutely right. Let's look at how the gospel has advanced. So let's just kind of back up a little bit and think about what is postmillennialism. Now, to be sure, things like infant mortality rate is related to postmillennialism. Technology is related to postmillennialism. Uh, economics, definitely related to postmillennialism. But beyond all of that, the foundation is, is the gospel going forth throughout the world? And that is an astounding yes. Absolutely. And wherever it goes, to the extent that it's propagated, it affects every single area of life. All those areas, John, you just mentioned. Yeah. And and I've, you know, if, uh, this was a few Easter's ago. I preached from Psalm 2 and I was showing and demonstrating from Psalm 2 how the New Testament approaches Psalm 2, especially in the book of Acts. But it assumes that, you know, the whole... Um, context of the psalm is fulfilled in the coming of Christ, the first coming. Uh, so the nations raging and plotting has everything to do with you know the leaders of Judah and the Romans coming together, um, the beast and the whore of Babylon. That you know the language of Revelation. They came together, and of course God laughs at them. And why does He laugh at them? Because He set His king on Zion. So the New, the New Testament itself, we can argue exegetically. Psalm 110.1, 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Quoted over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. And and I, I'm with Moeller when he says, well, sin is a pervasive thing. Because I take that to mean sin does touch all of our being, our emotions, our minds, etc. But the problem is, do we not have a sin-crushing Savior who is no longer dead? who atoned Amen. for our sin, who was risen, who rules and reigns. And this this whole, like, even your own sanctification, your sanctification is 10 steps forward, five steps back, yeah. one step forward, three steps back. Yeah. And and so to have 
I, I would qualify this. I agree in terms of like a, a linear history, but it's not a linear history that is is static. It's fluid. It's not straight up. Yes, right. it's not straight up, but it's also not straight out. Right. And and that I think is a healthy view of history. I'm not sure what he's trying to do with the Hegelian stuff. Why he brought that up? Um, it seems very unfair because. Even I believe he's he's is he like pre uh, historic a uh, pre mill he's or, an amil I believe or is he amil I can't remember which um, but even those views do believe in a, a a victory a spiritual victory well he said that at the consummation right he absolutely he absolutely affirms at the very beginning of that clip that we all believe in some sort of linearness so why why is it only post millennialism Hegelian it's because it's he's identifying it with an with a twentieth century progressivism. And yeah. he's extricating the whole history and legacy of postmillennialism and just attaching it to this one cancerous form. Right. And he, he also made mention of this idea of the kingdom of God coming because of human work, which I'm not sure if he's connecting that to postmillennialism proper. But if he was, that's just outright slanderous. That's right. not true at all. Mm-hmm. That's not what any postmillennial mm-hmm. would believe that I've ever heard of, at least. Right. Like the kingdom of God does not come about because of just man working yeah it's always because right. of the gospel it's always because of the holy spirit moving within us and within within society it's always by the workings of the gospel not because i'm so good at what i do yeah that's a great point it's it's uh the connection between well you know uh, henry van Til, culture is religion externalized so our our religious convictions our confession our faith what we believe will naturally flow out into culture and that's why you get these debates with people that say, well, we're not we're not trying to redeem the culture. Well, if you say that that's the first priority and, and you're circumventing the preaching of the gospel, regeneration, those things. OK, I'm with you, but I don't need to pick either one. I have a biblical view that is a holistic view of man, man and his institutions, man and his marriage, right, or the church, the, uh, the state where God intends to bring his sanctification. The, the government's on his shoulders. And that's, a, that's an incarnation text. Um, so it, Matthew 28, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's really what I'm going to focus in when I'm in Africa. It's just focusing on the authority of Christ, the all-encompassing authority of Christ, as he rules and reigns over history. And this isn't just you know us in the boxing ring with the humanists and, and the devil, and he gets a punch, we get a punch, we take two punches, he gets punches. No, like, Jesus has knocked him out. He's footstooling yeah, progressively. So, <laughs> and he's the one stumbling around with his teeth missing. And we can use that word progressively, but the but in the sense, the historical 20th century definition of the word progressivism is tied to a liberalism. And, and post-millennialism isn't just about things getting better. It's a whole theology of Christ on his throne, his law going out to the coastlands, we have to be careful. Postmillennialism is is not something we can detach from the law of God. Mm-hmm. The law of God has to go forth along with the advancing kingdom. And just what you said about Van Tell t- talking about culture being religion externalized, in that sense, we absolutely are aiming at the cultural transformation of the institutions because if we're if by that if by cultural transformation we mean a change within a society within a nation from disobedience to christ in all areas of life towards obedience to christ in all areas of life 
obviously through regeneration first, changing hearts at, from the bottom up, yeah. then that kind of cultural transformation is the obedience of the nations. It's the worship of the nations. And that's what the Great Commission is actually pointed towards. Yes. Amen. Yeah. So I, this I, is vitally important because like you uh, said, Pastor, we do respect some of what Albert Moeller is saying about social justice. Not not all of it necessarily, right. but some yeah. of it. And it's so vitally important in these social justice debates that we always ask, by what standard mm-hmm. are we advocating for social justice? Are we advocating for social justice based off of uh, secular psychologists or sociologists or scholars or or natural law, you know, yeah, yeah. or are we advocating social justice according to the law word of God? And so whenever you mi- start mixing these ideas up, this sort of all millennial natural law theories, and then also social justice, it actually is a fairly dangerous concoction. So mm-hmm. it, is, it is very important, though we do respect some of what Albert Moeller is saying about social justice, it is super important that when we do speak about social justice or just justice or any of these concepts that we do it from the perspective of the law word of God and not any other standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he, he specifically said that we can't expect to bring in the kingdom um, with our own efforts and that Christ does that at the consummation, but ushering in, we ushering in the kingdom. That's not what post-millennials believe. We believe that Christ has established his kingdom. Mm -hmm. He already has all authority in Mm -hmm. heaven on earth over all things. And now is the time period of him crushing his enemies. It might take thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and we could go through a 300 year downfall and post-millennialism would be no less true. Right. But, but specifically in Hebrews 10, 12 and 13, it talks about what Christ is doing during his mediatorial reign. Chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And what did he do? Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So he's not getting up off the throne to, to return until the nations have been footstooled. And then, you know, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, um, uh, 22 through 25, it's talking about the last enemy to be defeated is death. Yeah. And so that is the future resurrection. Yes, that is still always going to be future to us. But Christ's mediatorial reign is a conquering kingdom. It's the the light scatters the darkness. It doesn't just hang out with the darkness forever. Yeah. You know. Uh, can I just share something that makes me kind of really irritated? Um two two things. One, I think it's an absolute affront. It's an it's an absolute it's so offensive for us to suggest that Jesus is not seated as king right now. And you will have folks like MacArthur who have said he's on like this voluntary exile. exile. Mm. And after everything he do- had done to secure our salvation, his birth, you know, nearly in God's providence, of course, but Herod slaughtering the innocents, um, escaping to Egypt, you know, a, a refugee, if you will his beating that he took um, the fact that we crucified him the fact that during the crucifixion we didn't even really want anything to do with him we, we could have actually tried to crucify him again if we you know that's how much hate we had so I agree this sin is pervasive but what makes me angry is that as if God didn't bless Christ with his obedience by mm-hmm. giving him a throne mm-hmm. 
Um, it's just, I think it's entirely offensive. And, and the second thing, um, before we hit a break here, the thing that I've heard, I'm sure you guys have heard this too, this kind of double speak where they will say, well, cause you, you heard, um, Moeller's language. He was very careful. He said the kingdom won't come in its fullest until the com- consummation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well we can, let's talk about that. What do you mean by fullest? Well, we believe in progressive sanctification. So, yeah, there is a sense when time is wrapped up and history is over and eternity, you know, begins. Fine. But the double speak comes in when you criticize postmillennialists by saying that we want to usher in the kingdom. Which is it? Um, right. Are we ushering something in that's not here or are mm. we trying to participate in something that's already been established? Thank you. And that's being worked by the Holy Spirit because it's a beautiful Trinitarian picture. You've got Christ seated on the throne waiting. He said to the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go. Otherwise, the helper would not come. Sends the helper, Pentecost, great commission. He's footstooling the nations, the spirit. Then when it's accomplished, the son takes the kingdom and hands it over to the father. Mm -hmm. That's you know, that's postmillennialism. Yes. Yeah. First Corinthians 15. I don't know how you get around what Paul says there. Right. I don't. That is that is a the the locus classicus for us in terms of postmillennial. That's the passage right there. One last thing. I just find it ironic that you've got to remember Al Mohler is probably in a beautiful air-conditioned library in his big office with his with pin fine set. silk <laughs> fountain <tie pin> set. <laughs> and his beautiful suit that he's got on. And he's he's talking into a microphone. What's a microphone? How does that work? And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, he's on the internet and there's a satellite in the sky. You know, there's all this technology, you know. He's going to space and back with <laughs> yeah. his voice, but nah. And here we are talking about, oh, you know, how could, you know, progress, how could he progress to the point where, you know, some of these things are going to be realized? It's happening in yeah. history. It yes. has happened. And to God be the glory. To God be the glory, indeed. All right, we're going to take a break. Um, Go ahead, guys. Take a sip of your coffee. Tell us coffee. You're going to hear that commercial here in a second. Um, but thank you, listeners, for joining us. We will be right back in a minute. Nothing is stopping the gospel. Russia, the Kazakhstan, and the brothers at Comic Con got some Germans listening to sermons while they swerve on the Autobahn. The curse has been reversed. The first fruit from the earth is on his throne. The church is dispersing his word to the whole earth. Worship's God alone. Authority and power has been granted to the Son of Man. Rewarded for obedience. Read Psalm 2 so you understand. Messiah has received the signet ring that every king will kiss. His kingdom is established in heaven. That means everything is. Is. So what should we expect from the rest of our human history? Just death and doom and misery, no room to view some victory. Isaiah said the Prince of Peace would rule over a vast domain. The increase of his government began when he rose and smashed the grave. So check out Matthew 13, because those parables will back my claims. Presenting Telos Coffee Roasters, the official coffee of Cross and Crown Radio. Telos exclusively chooses specialty-grade coffee to derive the highest flavor potential from beans sourced all over the world, culminating in deliciously roasted coffee for your enjoyment. 
visit our website at www.telloscoffeeroasters.com to peruse an array of delightful blends or even purchase a subscription. Telos Coffee, where it's our purpose to deliver coffee you'll enjoy. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Amen. Listen up, China. Yeah, take take note, rulers of the earth. Welcome back to Cross and Crown Radio. We want to talk about Hong Kong, the situation over there right now. Um, millions are out hitting the streets. I think one estimate was close to two million. Right. Lots of protests, lots of umbrellas, lots of masks. There, there's a strategy behind what they're doing, um, and we we kind of want to dig in to that topic, address it, and and of course we need to know some of the history. So Jordan, I know you've um, done some research even this week, just trying to nail down what is, what is this, what's going on, why is it happening, yeah, and what's the root root cause, if you will. Yeah, you turn on the TV, all you see is crowds, riot police. You know, it is almost impossible to know what's going on without understanding the history of Hong Kong, and the history of Hong Kong is fascinating. Um, it's just sort of a side point, but literally, Hong Kong would not exist as it exists today if Britain were not the world's largest drug pusher in the 18th century. So that's a fantastic claim, but it's actually true. Yeah, you, it seems outlandish. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the reason that Hong Kong exists as it exists today, which is in stark contrast to China as a very wealthy, productive, successful nation in that region. And so let's get into the history a bit. about yeah. how, you know, Where did Hong Kong come from? What started this conflict with Hong Kong and China? And to do that, you got to go back to the beginning of, of where Hong Kong came from. So... Back Genesis one, Genesis one. First, the <laughs> earth cooled. Uh, Later, the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Okay, so 17th century, and and essentially, people want to trade with China because China has all this tea, 
right? And you know, the British love their tea, right? And so, um, unfortunately, the government in China, the empire at the time, not big on trade, not big on foreigners, um, but they did agree to set aside this little tiny 12-acre compound off the coast of China and make it a somewhat something of a trade port. And they allowed the British and other nations, Spain and so forth, to come over and to buy their tea. Now, the only thing they'd accept is silver because they didn't really... You know, the British didn't really have any goods that they were interested in. And so, uh, you know, they just kept on taking British silver, British silver, British silver. And British silver was was plummeting. The stockpiles they had was plummeting uh, because they were buying so much tea with silver. Britain doesn't like parting with silver in a heavily mercantilist, <laughs> uh, you know, colonialist empire. So what they started to do was what can we offer the Chinese that that they'll take instead of our silver? And they ended up figuring out, um, of course, Britain were um, had a colonial uh, outpost in India, of course, they had taken over India, and they had opium in India. And what they found was that the Chinese people there loved opium, which is this drug gets you completely stoned, you know, opium. And, <laughs> and, and they got a little taste of it, and they loved it. And so uh, Britain uh, saw an opportunity there. And they decided to start start trading opium in exchange for tea. And they traded so much opium to China that they actually not only extracted all the silver that they had been giving them, but China actually started becoming a silver debtor to, to Britain because of all the opium that they were buying. Finally, the governor, the emperor, whoever it was in China gets wind and realizes what's going on. And, you know, it's just it's just catastrophic for the people there. They're just addicted to opium. And the guy says, we got to stop this. So one season, all of uh, all of the uh, British ships were sitting there in the harbor off of Canton. And he goes out. He he um, takes the the captains of the ship in. He demands that they hand over all of the opium that was sitting there in the harbor. And they are forced to do that. They dump the Chinese dump all the opium in the harbor. It's it's a whole season's worth of opium and, and send them back. Right. So <laughs> the British crown is not used to being treated in such a way. You got to remember at this time, Britain was not to be messed with. OK, and <laughs> this, is, uh, this is before the Boston Tea Party. Right. This is the, so the sun this, doesn't set on the British Empire, British Empire. Yeah. Well, well, it was actually after well, you said 17th century. Eight, so seven, no, 17th century was the beginning where they weren't allowing the trade. OK. The, okay. Now we're getting into the 18th century so, and 19th century. So we're, just, now we're now yeah. we're up to the 1830s. Britain was still very. We, we've humbled them a little bit. Right. I, I just flat. <laughs> Flashback things were going huge. overboard that you know there's it, lots of stuff going tea on. and so forth yeah <laughs> so anyways uh, where was I so um, so basically they 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 dump all the of the tea or the uh, opium in the water and Britain gets mad about this they go back with all these ships and and they demand the money back China says no and thus ensues these opium wars where China and Britain are actually at war over this issue of opium and mm. this goes on for years well. The British Navy and the British uh, forces were were hugely more uh, powerful than the Chinese forces at the time. They win. They force them into a treaty where they the British don't want to have this happen again. So they set up this uh, this. They make China give them this island, Kong 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 Island. Okay, which has which used to be this like island of fishermen and and you know and farmers. It was just a sort of a rinky dink. Yeah, you know, not much outpost. of anything. Not not much going on. And in just, you know, decades and not very long, it starts to transform into this wealthy island. And 
years later, Britain even makes China give a little part of the inland adjacent from Hong Kong Island. So that's what Hong Kong is. There's the section on the right on the coast, and then there's the island. So there's like kind of two sections to it. And uh, basically, Hong Kong becomes one of the richest cities in the world. And it becomes the key trading hub between Asia and the West because it doesn't have the same law system as China. It has British common law and it has a lot of freedoms, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of commerce, very capitalistic and complete, you know, contrast to the Chinese uh, or, or in complete contrast to China. And so um, they set up this deal where in in because China doesn't want this situation going on. They want control over Hong Kong. And Britain's trying to get out of the colonialist game after, you know, at the end of the uh, 18th century or 19th century. And in 19, they, they, they planned that by 1997, they agreed that China would, or Britain would give back Hong Kong Island and the mainland, um, provided that they allowed for 50 years following 1997 it's the same sort of legal understanding and legal freedoms that hong kong now enjoys right so until 2047 right and that's the context we're in now where ever since 1997 china has progressively been encroaching on the freedoms of hong kong hong kong does not want to become an arm of china Hong Kong does not want to have anything to do with the legal system of China. They want to keep their system. They love their system. And China has been getting involved in the elections. China has been getting involved in who governs. China has been uh, has been kidnapping dissidents, uh, starting to infringe on some of the freedoms they have there. And it's just getting more and more a powder keg to the point where the Chinese puppet governor of Hong Kong has introduced these extraditions, uh, extradition law, which gives China the power to essentially take anybody out of Hong Kong they want, extradite them by force, kidnap them essentially to yeah. China, and do who knows what with them. And there's been already instances of people disappearing, people ending up in in Chinese um, jails, and and you know tortures legal there. And, authors. And, I read one article about authors who were basically kidnapped and taken, and no one right. heard, yeah. from, heard, yeah. heard from them. And if it's not explicitly legal, it happens. Yeah, so like so. I remember the you you brought the the geography of it, uh, um, the, the part that's connected. So you have the island, and then the part that's connected. Even today, you have to have a, a pass. There has to be some sort mm-hmm. of um, legal pass for you to even get out of quote unquote you know Hong Kong territory, right? To get to the mainland, and and you you touched on this, Jordan. But it, so our listeners are are well equipped. Hong Kong is really. Next to Wall Street, one of the foremost financial districts. It's huge. It's massive. And so for China, in their minds, they are they want this because this is their door to the rest of the world. This is their door to becoming a world power, economic trading, so on and so forth. And then, of course, you know the trade war with Trump right now and some of the things he's said. Um, he's encouraged, you know, the president of China um, Xi Jinping, I think we said. Um, I don't know. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. We probably butchered that. Yeah, probably. Um, but he's encouraged him to go go meet with the protesters, and he he's trying to get a peaceful resolution. But a lot of this is centered on Carrie Lam, who Beijing had basically put forward. She was elected. When was it? Uh, Twenty seventeen. Yeah, two years ago. Um, she was the chief executive elected in Hong Kong 
And she's the one that's really at, at the center of the controversy. She's the one who, frankly, is being backed by the Chinese, the communist Chinese government. And so this extradition bill came forward. Everybody's upset about it. They, you know, there's five demands. They want the extradition bill withdrawn because right now it's not. It's still on the table. They have paused from from actually enacting the law, um, but it's not. And that's why people are out protesting. They're frustrated with it. Um, they want to. They want the Chinese government to retract riot language. The nature of their protest. This is. These are not riots. Um, they also want to release and do not prosecute protesters because there's that going on. And, and look, communism is not a utopia of freedom of speech, of freedom of the press for you to have individual liberty and, and justice for all sort of stuff. That's what Christianity gives you. Atheism gives you the terrible disease of communism. So they the protesters are being prosecuted, they're being arrested, kidnapped. Um, they want to establish independent committee to investigate police brutality. I actually saw a video is making its way around Twitter of these police officers who a guy was arrested, but he was on a gurney and they put him in an elevator. They beat him. Now, that doesn't sound terribly unlike America, by the way, police brutality, different topic for another time. And then the fifth thing they want is to implement genuine universal suffrage. You have people in Hong Kong who want freedom. They don't want the statist hell that is communism. They don't mm -hmm. want to have all of their rights stripped away. Um, and you, Jordan, I know you, you shared some stuff the other day, um, which I thought was really helpful just in terms of the big thing they want. What's one of the big things they want? They want the Second Amendment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there, and the whole world can see what happens when you don't have the Second Amendment. This is the per. This is it's not for hunting. It's not so we can keep but hunting. There, there are plenty of guns in Hong Kong, but right. it's all in the hands of the police and the military. Yeah, and and to be clear, we're not advocating that um, in any any uh, government people just go out and start shooting people when they don't like laws, right? But this is actually the people of Hong Kong and even some of their representatives who are um, not are basically playing the role of the lesser magistrate. When the community itself, and it's not just uh, you know a revolutionary here, a revolutionary there, is being um, is being abused by the uh, by the statists, by the state, then you know this is a very different animal than just some you know a couple of revolutionaries here or there. Yeah, it's amazing because um, this one article I'm 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 looking at right now in front of me. The the uh, when was it the past Sunday or a Sunday or two ago, they attracted out of seven point five million people who live in Hong Kong proper, they attracted one point seven million people out in protest. Mm. This is not fifteen people walking downtown in a small town. Right. This is a massive uprising. They're standing up for their rights. Um, and, and yeah, to have something like the Second Amendment to be in your favor, to guard against status tyranny is is actually a beautiful blessing. And it's a beautiful thing to watch people understand that morality and what is legal is not the same thing, not mm -hmm. necessarily the same thing, because in China, the perspective is, well, they're breaking the law because 
they associate morality with whatever the Communist Party decides is legal or illegal. Yeah. And there is a vast chasm between those things. In China, we, you just read Psalm 2 in the intro, Jason, Yeah. that, um, you know, they have no authority to do the evil things that they're doing. They're using their big guns and their force and, and their batons and their riot gear, um, and they have power, but they have no authority. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's, that's vital in understanding. Very much vital. Like, this is a just opposition against tyranny. And it's not to say that China is the most and like the only tyranny out there, not even close. However, this is a very clear demonstration of the exact same thing that we talk about all the time. This is righteous opposition against tyranny. It's imperfect, yes. There are people doing things they probably shouldn't be doing, yeah. uh, but it's in the minority, and I think that's demonstrated. And I would say this is a very clear demonstration of righteous resistance. And if you look at it, who is the who's the chaos agent in this? Who's the who's for real peace? Who's for mm-hmm. real law and order? And who's the chaos agent? The chaos agent is clearly the Chinese government, yeah, and communists. And the whole philosophy, the, you know, the communists really took to the Marxist worldview and built on it the principle of chaos in order to establish rule. Right. And that, I mean, that, you know, read Rushduni's The One and the Many and go all the way back to the Egyptians. I mean, he goes far back in history. But that whole principle is a is a naturalistic presupposition where, you know, we are all products of chaos so whoever can cause the most chaos and, and actually rein it in and then establish themselves, right. you know, then they're, they're the biggest guns. It's what we would call in a lot of places the survival of the fittest. It's Darwinian. Um, but that's the communist manifesto. That's the communist way. And it's absolute tyranny. And you know, what makes me so frustrated right now is that you get... Uh, what this is, Jordan, John, what this is, is I was thinking about it on the way here tonight. This is the uh, frog in the boiling water situation. And it's the same thing we have in our country right now. You can't throw the frog in the boiling water. He'll jump out. But if you put him in there, give him, you know, some nice coffee, tell us coffee <laughs> and get him, you know, a cupcake and have him chill and you slowly turn the temperature up. What are you going to get? You can have a dead frog. And that's essentially what has happened in our nation because we have slowly allowed socialism to to infiltrate. Uh, it's the same thing in Hong Kong. You have people who want to be free. You know, they want this whole. The, the mantra is one nation, two systems, one country. They want to be recognized as part of China. It is their heritage. Um, but they do have, as you pointed out, the the British common law system, which runs completely contrary to the communist vision. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I also think it's, it's really interesting that one of the biggest leaders of the protest movement, his name's Joshua Wong, is a dedicated Christian. Hmm. Like grew up, uh, I think his parents were Lutheran. And I was just reading something where um, uh, a reporter went to his house and the first thing he saw was a sign saying that Jesus was the head of their household. Hmm. And Jesus is the head of Hong Kong. Yeah. And Jesus is the head of China yep. and the United States. And although I think what's what's going on now with all the all the riot police and the tyranny, it looks really, really bad for China. We are not far behind. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, I mean, 
if you notice, a lot of the protesters are using masks because they use surveillance to pick out people who are protesting to, you know, do who knows what to them. And so the people have to watch their identity and wear masks in America in many places. It's illegal to wear a mask. I don't know if you know that, but it actually right. is. They have more freedom in that sense. Wow. You know? Facial um, recognition software is being used. Right. Drones. You right. That. Because we so want security here. Oh, you can't wear a mask. We don't even think about what the ramifications could be if you have a government that's overreaching and is, you know, um, com do committing big acts of tyranny against their people and the people need to do that. You know, it's illegal. Well, know? another thing I... Uh, it's not good for China. And I, I was reading some of the, what the leaders are saying, essentially, they, they, you really only have two options. One, um, you use military force. And then, you know, you have a revisitation of what is the... Uh, Tiananmen I was, Square? Yes. I, can't, I can mm -hmm. never remember how to pronounce it. Tiananmen Square. What was that? 89, right? Um, it was not too long ago. Thousands shot, killed. Um, if you have a military mobilization of... Chinese soldiers, you are going to have an awful situation. It's going to, it's going to be terrible. And they don't want to do that because it's a financial, you know, incentive for them. So if they, you know, they start bombing Hong Kong, they're shooting themselves. In the very, foot. very bad PR for them. It's very bad. And then you also, but, but then like, what do you do? Do you acquiesce to what they're demanding by removing this bill and, you know, changing some things? You're kind of stuck. Uh, and their culture, and not that our culture is too different, but it is very much having to do with power and control yeah. in China. Like their entire culture is built on this obedience, this this strict hierarchical structure, this you know radical patriarchalism as well, and it's always strict hierarchical structures, and they cannot do something that publicly essentially acquiesces. They can't back down. They can't yeah. surrender, or else it it upturns their entire cultural identity. So they really are in between a rock and a hard place. Of course, there's the righteous answer and there's like the right thing to do, but it goes contrary to their worldview. Yeah. Which is, which is strictly power religion. Yep. Yeah. The, the, that's the communist game and it's a terrible, it's a wicked, it's sinful. It's wicked. It goes contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. It's also very inspiring to see, pastors even in china forget just hong kong yeah step up and say communism is evil directly to the powers that be and you have pastors in this nation yeah that will not even step up to their pulpits and say communism is evil they're jordan they're they're busy preaching the gospel man gotta cut them <laughs> some slack <laughs> i don't know what's gospel at this point but you're right man that's like that's the it's it's really humbling actually I'm kind of humbled hearing you say that just because, it, you know, these are the situations where it's going to take men of courage, true courage to stand up for what is true and what is right, not for what is expedient, not for what, you know, may or may not, you know, um, sell seats for our Easter, you know, extravaganza. It's, it's courage to stand up and say, no, socialism is evil. The public school system is evil because it's socialism, you know, and all these, all these different things. The other thing is they'll, They'll try to do a conflation between, well, capitalism can be evil too and common. It's all sort of the same thing. Yeah, tell that to the people in, in Hong Kong that there's no meaningful difference between the potential for evil and capitalism versus communism. Yeah. Right? Because pastors don't know by and large or haven't studied or just won't talk about biblical law, 
and the fact that the property rights that are built into biblical law make capitalism the closest system that we have to what approximates a biblical ethic in terms of the economy. They can't, because they don't know that, they can't discern between good and evil in the particulars. They're immature, as Hebrews 5 and 6 is getting at. They're mm-hmm. unable to discern between good and evil. And it and it and the sad thing is, it leads to a lack of salt and light in this country. It lads, leads to a lack of clarity. It leads to the festering of idolatry and the lack of preaching against the sin that that idolatry rec- uh, represents. Mm-hmm. And so how can you then apply the gospel where you can't even identify sin correctly? Mm-hmm. That's that's it, man. Injustice presupposes idolatry. So if you don't preach against injustice, you're not, you're not preaching the kingdom of God. You're not preaching the comprehensive nature of the gospel. Yep. Amen. You know, I, mean, I, I go ahead, John. No, you have I'm just saying thoughts. that <laughs> I'm just, this is all connected. Yeah. Like every last bit of this, like what we were talking about, Albert Moeller and the Hong Kong protests and Joshua Wong and his Christianity and God's law. This is all connected. This is all Mm -hmm. integral to preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The reason why Hong Kong should have freedom, the reason why there shouldn't be police brutality in Hong Kong has everything to do with God's law. And there's a lot of people right now who are rooting for Hong Kong in America, a lot of conservatives who don't like the communism of China. And I wonder if they would ever question our police brutality. I wonder if they mm-hmm. would question uh, if we have our own protests, would they be, well, law and order and law and order and chanting that. Uh, and, and so what I would like to say is we need to be the America that Hong Kong thinks we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're 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 waving American flags. They're talking about the Second Amendment. They're singing American patriotic songs. And yeah, I think we do have some things a lot better than China right now. But we're not as far behind them as we think. Yeah. And if you look at what happened with with Martin Luther King, he was arrested and put in the Birmingham jail because when he marched, he didn't get a permit. And he he intentionally did not try to get a permit for when they were marching when because the evil in society was so egregious that they needed to make a stand. And many Christians and he wrote about this in the uh, um, letter from a Birmingham jail that many Christians would say, oh, we appreciate your aims and we're sort of with you, but we just don't like your methods. <laughs> we don't like that. You need to be law. You need to, uh, you know, go go along with law and order. But Martin Luther King was the agent trying to restore order to chaos dressed in law and order. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the pro-life movement. I know we can make all these connections. The, the March for Life. It's an orderly every year March for you know nothing against the March for Life if, if you if you want to go you know what have you, but it's an orderly state approved function that does not scare the state in the leadest or in in the in the slightest or cause them to be like whoa maybe we should change our ways right. It's very much like the Christian Church in China. There's the state church. State approved church, and then there's the church. There's the church. <laughs> if it pleases the crown, might we protest you slightly? Right. <laughs> Just it, a little and bit. And in America right now, there is chaos and there is blood and it's all being covered up. Right. And yeah. I mean, <laughs> we in America need to repent soon. Or, you know, first of all, whatever's happening in China is going to, and, and what, you know, what uh, fate they have for their evil is not going to be any worse than our fate. Mm-hmm. So let us not piously, you know, lift up our nose against China. I mean, we should identify the evil that's going on. But while there's so much evil being ensconced in law here 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're about ready to wrap up, but I, you know, that's really good, Jordan. And I, I, I can't help but think that, you know, Trump has done more at gun grabbing than Obama, right? We talked about the Second Amendment. Second Amendment. And with less due process. Less due process. Um, already Republicans are caving in on, on these things. And the frustrating thing is that we have an inept and impotent Christianity in America to the point that we will still hail Donald Trump and hold him up as this bastion of liberty when he's all but. And it's high time we repent of that. The church must repent of the idolatry of assuming that somehow the Lord Jesus Christ is directly aligned with the Republican Party. I'm looking at you, Falwell. This is this is this is where we're headed. If we are not going to repent of that, then God will continue to bring his judgment against us. Amen. So and we could go on for hours, but <laughs> we got to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all listeners for hanging out with us, joining us, being with us. Thank you for your encouragement. Send us some more messages. Send us some notes. If you want to get some Telos coffee, make sure you check out the website. Cheers. We'll put all that in the show notes too, so you can get directed to their site appropriately. So that's it. John, Jordan, you guys all right? Adios. We're See you good. next time. Grace and peace.